Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On the Sunday edition of the podcast, we slow things down, find time for stillness, and take a deeper dive into ancient texts. Here, we share selected readings from philosophical and spiritual traditions to help us live our highest good. To learn more, you can visit us at perennialleader.com. Hello, and welcome back to another Sunday edition of the podcast. In today's episode, we are continuing our selected reading of Seneca's On the Happy Life. If you missed part one last week, here's a quick recap. Seneca explained that we all want to live happy lives, but when it comes to discerning what makes life happy, we're often in the dark. Seneca stressed that we must avoid following the path of others. I quote, the worn and crowded paths deceive us the most. All right, let's get on to the episode. Here is part two of our selected reading of Seneca's On the Happy Life. I hope you enjoy. Therefore, let us seek out what is best to do, not what is the most established practice and what can place us in possession of eternal happiness, not what is approved of by the common crowd, the worst discerner of truth. If this thing, the mind, is ever given time to take a breath and withdrawal into itself, see how it will torture itself and confess to itself the truth, saying, whatever I did till now, I would prefer to be undone. Whenever I reflect on what I said, I envy those that are mute. Whatever I wish for, I think of as the curses of my adversaries. Whatever I feared, good gods, how much lighter that was than what I desired. I conducted animosities against many, and then I returned home from hate back to favor, if, that is, there is such a thing as favor among bad men. But I am not yet a friend to myself. I devoted all my energy to distinguishing myself from the many and to making myself famous. We should seek out something that is not good to look at, but robust and unwavering and more beautiful on its hidden side. We should recover this. It isn't placed far away. It will be discovered. You simply need to know where to extend your hand. For now, it is as if as if we are passing nearby things in the darkness, bumping up against exactly what we long for. But so I do not lead you around in circles, I will pass over the opinions of others, 
for enumerating them would be a long task, as would refuting them. So here ours. But when I say ours, I do not bind myself to any one Stoic authority. I too have the right to set forth my position. Thus, I will follow one, will command another to divide his proposition, and even perhaps when summoned to speak after all the others, I will disapprove of nothing that the earlier ones decreed, and yet I will say, I have this to add. In the meantime, I do something that is common to all Stoics. I agree with the nature of the world. Not to deviate from nature, but to be formed according to its law and example. That is wisdom. Happy, therefore, is the life in agreement with its own nature. And there is no other way for this to come about than if the intellect is first healthy and in an unending possession of its own health. Next, strong and energetic. Then, enduring most nobly. Fitted to the times, caring for its body and for the things that pertain to the body without anxiety. Then, attentive to the other things that equip life without admiring any of them, and ready to use the gifts of fortune and not be their slave. You understand, even without my adding it, that once things that either provoke or terrify us have been expelled, there follow unending tranquility, freedom. When the pleasures and pains have been rejected, a huge joy comes in to replace those things that are trivial and fragile and actually prompt self-disgust, a joy unshaken and unvarying, followed by peace and harmony in the mind and a greatness combined with gentleness, since ferocity always derives from weakness. Our good can also be defined in a different way. That is, the same proposition can be grasped with different words. Just as one in the same army is spread out more widely one moment and compacted more tightly in the next, so the definition of the highest good can sometimes be spread out and extended, and at other times be compressed and collected into itself. It will be the same thing then if I say, the highest good is the mind looking down on the things of fortune, joyous in virtue, or the mind's undefeated strength, well-versed in the ways of the world calm in action, with much humanity and concern for those with whom it has contact. One may also define it in such a way as to say that human being is happy 
to whom nothing is good or bad except a good or bad mind, who is a cultivator of the morally good, content with virtue, who is neither buoyed up nor broken by changes in fortune, who knows that there is no greater good than that which he can give himself, to whom true pleasure will be scorning pleasures. One may, if you wish to range further, translate it into one and another form without endangering or damaging its power. After all, what prevents us from saying that the happy life is a free, upright, fearless, and stable mind placed beyond fear and beyond desire to whom the only good is what is morally good the only bad thing, disgrace, and the rest are a worthless swarm of things that neither subtract anything from the happy life nor add anything to it, coming and going without any increase or reduction of the highest good. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, please take a moment and consider sharing it with others. Until next time, be wise and be well.